Ephesians chapter 4, first six verses. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. If you would please follow in the reading of God's word. Therefore I, prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility, gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance with one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called one hope, your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. Father, please teach us this morning. Help us to understand. Father, as we have come out of chapter 3 and we see the prayer for strengthening our understanding of Christ's love that surpasses understanding, Christ would be comfortable in us, that we would be the fullness of God, and that you would do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we could ever imagine. Father, you must teach us this. So I ask that you teach now. You open our eyes, open our ears, but peel our souls open in such a way things of this world would grow strangely dim in your light. In Christ's name. Amen. We're dealing with uh, right now, the call is to walk worthy. We looked at that in verse 1. Right, and if you look at it in the context of a letter, he comes straight out of the prayer at the end of chapter 3, and then he, you have been called to walk worthy. And over the last couple of weeks, I have dealt with humility from the Old Testament perspective of how does God look at this? And then in the New Testament view on how does it look to us? But we, we, the, you can't lose the framework. The framework is how this walk works. How do I walk in a manner worthy of this calling? Because the goal we looked at last time is the unity of the body of Christ. So when that walk is working, there's unity. The first three chapters of this and the conclusion of the three chapters is a prayer. And yet, if you think about the first three chapters, what was the emphasis? You can say, well, it was theology. That's exactly what I said. What is theology? One new man, one new body, one family, one household, one habitation of the Spirit. And the emphasis is that Jew and Gentile are one in Christ. So what is the emphasis of theology? Unity. Absolute unity. Christ's prayer in John chapter 17, 21 to 23 that we would be one 
as Christ and the Father are one. And the point of that is that the world may know. That the world may know. As we are one, absolute unity. Listen, do you understand that this is not talking about let's get along? This ain't what this is talking about. This, well, I'm going to a Baptist church, so we're probably one. No, that's not true. When we are one, we show Christ to the world. And it is a unity that, to use a phrase that is worn out these days, it's supernatural. It comes back to my understanding of who is God. Listen, I look at the world, and I don't care where you look, it's chaos. I don't care where you look on this planet, the world is divided. It it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I would guess I'd classify it as disharmony. There is no harmony. And nothing. I mean, just listen to it. I mean, we can sit there and say, well, I can't believe they're saying that, and I can't believe this is going on. Can you tell me a time when it wasn't? When in the history of creation was there unity on this planet? There is bitterness. There is resentment. In all of that, stuck right in the middle of it, is the church. That's bizarre to me. You know, I go look. I remember when I was doing a historical study of Thessalonians, and I was looking at the culture that was Thessalonica. It was a military base. It was a port city. The east-west highway, the only way to go east and west, went through Thessalonica. And the culture said that a man was allowed to have as many women as he wanted, but he's only allowed to have one wife. And the one wife, uh, excuse my terminology, was a broodmare. That one there was good enough that I would like to carry on my name through that woman. That was the culture. I, I listened to people and they say, well, was, was it like because there was a military base, there was a red light district? No, the city was a red light district. There was nowhere in it that you didn't have to deal with it. And yet God stuck a church, poof, right in the middle of it. He did the same thing in Corinth. Corinth was nuts. He did the same thing. He'd stick these things, churches. Why? So that they could show the unity of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful unity. It's a miraculous oneness. It has a peace that surpasses understanding. It has a harmony that everyone is heading in the same path. So that the world will look at it and say, what's that? Listen, this is what Christ Jesus can do. That means... He's not of this world. 
No one in this world has the capability of doing this. None. There is no peace. And you know what? Never has anyone been able to do that except the Lord Jesus Christ. Why the world will grab a hold of the Antichrist? Why? He says he'll bring peace. He's got three years of catastrophic events, and he grabs together and says, I can calm this all down. And the world gravitates because he says he can bring peace. You know why he says that? He's got the most guns. I've traveled in different countries. They try to outwardly show a unity, and yet you realize that underlying all of it is discontent and disharmony, but they don't have any guns. The Antichrist will appear to bring peace. He will appear to be a peacemaker. Do I need to go back through history and tell you all the peacemakers? Caesar was a peacemaker. Alexander the Great was a peacemaker. Pharaoh was a peacemaker. Do I, do I need to go on? Hitler was a peacemaker. He unified Europe, remember? Oh, should I bring up Father Stalin? He was a peacemaker. Pol Pot brought peace. Ho Chi Minh brought peace. Really? They do it a lot. And yet I understand and the Bible teaches me that Jesus is the only true peacemaker. He is the only thing that can unify. And you know why? One key attribute. Okay, he's God. But he had an attribute that humanity does not possess. Humility. Some of your translations may say in verse 2, lowliness. Listen, when you are humble, do you realize that if you bring a group of humble people together, there is instantaneous unification? Why? They have one mind. The Great Commission is what? Make disciples of all ethnos. But if you read it in its context, it says, as you are going. So if you were going to teach discipleship of Christ, what would you be teaching? Humility. Humility. As I am walking, I will teach humility. You know what? This is our true testimonies. He has, Jesus Christ was sent from God to unify. And no man has ever made that kind of peace nor that kind of humility. Look at history. When has it happened? What peace treaty has lasted? It's easy. None of them. 
the only miracle that can unify is Christ. Period. No man has been able to do it. Only deity has that capability. But I want to share with you something. If I go back to verse 1, it says, Walk in a manner worthy. Do you understand what that means? Well, that's what we're dealing with. What does the worthy walk look like? He's already prayed that we would walk this way. You'd be strengthened in the inner man by the Holy Spirit. That you would know Christ that in such a way that Christ would be absolutely comfortable with you. Okay? And that you would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And that you would be the fullness of God to do exceedingly abundantly beyond whatever you could imagine. That's the prayer. Why? Because the call is to walk worthy. I need to walk worthy. How do I walk worthy? How do I walk worthy? First of all, ask yourself this question. I've got an ongoing conversation with someone who used to attend this church. When you say, I'm going to walk worthy, why? Why why do I want to walk worthy? I can walk worthy. I can just do it my way, right? Well, the goal of walking worthy is the unity of the church, the body. That's why we walk worthy. So the first thing of walking worthy is the unity of the church. Walking worthy, the church would be one. How do we get to that? Let me tell you something. If you've got an inkling, an inkling, I don't even know what an inkling is. Is that like a twinkle in the eye? I don't know. Cute word, isn't it? If you have an inkling of pride, you'll never have unity. Impossible. Because see, pride goes back to what? I want. Alright? When everybody starts worrying about our own thing, they forget to worry about what is God's own thing. Look at churches. Look at churches today. Wherever you have humility, you will have miraculous, supernatural unity. I've been in churches that are like that. They'll freak you out. You don't know what you're supposed to do. Everybody's knocking themselves over to help you. The first time I went to Russia, I felt like I was an apostle. And I kept thinking, man, these people don't even know who I am. Listen, where, where there is no humility, then each one will fight for their rights. Bible talks about it. James speaks of it. Chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. What are the sources of your quarrels and conflicts among you? 
Is not the source your pleasures that wage war against your members? You lust and do not have. You commit murder and you are envious and cannot obtain. So you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You know what that is? Pride. Pride, it's all about me. I have literally the word is wars because of my lust. When I have lust, what is the focus? Pride. When I have lust, my driving motivation is my desires. But when you have unity and peace, you have Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do you realize that if you do that, you will never have a disagreement with anybody or any situation. Did you know that? There'll never be a disagreement. But then you have to go back to Ephesians three fourteen to 20. That I am strengthened in the inner man by the Holy Spirit. So that Christ is comfortable. And I will know the love that surpasses knowledge. And then I will know the fullness of God. And he will do exceedingly abundantly beyond what I could ever think or imagine. That's how there is peace and unity. Think about this for a second. Looking out for the things of others, not our own. How does that change right now? If you were going to do that right now, how would that change? Think about it. Because I love you guys, but you know what? The last three weeks, you've been exposed to this, and now you're responsible for it. I want you to think about it for a second. You know, we were dealing with the budget and the trials and the tribulations of the budget. And I told you guys, this has got nothing to do with who's employed and who ain't employed and who's got what check and who ain't got what check. This is all spiritual. Why? Am I looking out for others more than myself? What's that based on? Pride and or lack of. That is how peace and unity come. They are looking out for others and the things of others and not for our own things. When we all see others better than ourselves, when we all see others more important than ourselves, 
Now, I, I got to break the news to you. When that happened, that's amazing. That's miraculous. Because you know what? I've already shared with you over the last two messages. That's not our nature. Not only is it not of our nature, it's part of the curse. I'm important. Why? Because God saved me. No, you're not. When we are all involved in meeting the needs of others. You ever thought about that? Do you understand that the missionaries that we support, we are meeting their needs? I've seen these guys. Ain't none of them got a BMW. I looked at it. Now, although Valeri, we don't support him directly, he does have a Mercedes bus. But they get Mercedes buses a lot cheaper in Russia than what we do. I looked at a brand new, the last time I was in Moscow, I looked at a brand new Jaguar. In American, it was only about $9,000. I was like, whoa, maybe I'll get me a Jaguar. And then I realized to get it from Moscow to New York, uh, okay, now it's a Jaguar again. Okay, but then I look at some of this. And there's times that it's difficult. We meeting others needs and everybody else comes to care for everybody else. Some of these people we will not see on this side of glory, but we will see them. When we are that concerned, then there will be unity and peace and harmony. And it's only through that. And, and I agree, it's going to take supernatural. Because I know for a fact it can't humanly be done. And yet that's what God wants. The unity of the Spirit and the bonds of what? Peace. See, we should be looking and striving for one body, for one spirit, for one hope, for one Lord, for one faith, one baptism, one God. Because that concept is what you and I are going to deal with in chapters 4, 5, and 6. What does that look like? You know what? The weird, what is weird about it is it is so abnormal in our society, in the history of this planet, that it's easy to spot in our lives. This is supernatural. No man can do it. Remember, the world isn't going to know this unless we have the unity. And it's not a matter of that I'm in a Presbyterian church or I'm in a Baptist church or I'm in a Bible church or I'm in a whatever, non-denominational church. That doesn't do it. This is what is called all lowliness. It's what John Calvin called worm theology. I am but a worm. Now, 
I want you to understand something. This is excruciatingly hard to preach on. Okay? I have been dealing with this section for some time, almost two and a half months. Okay? And you know, one of the things I remember when I first started preaching is that when Sunday would roll around, Lord, my God, what if I don't know what the text says? Okay, well, I guess we'll just sing for a little while. Okay? But he showed me, he says, Terry, that's never the issue. I will give you what the text says. Is it true of you? There's battles. Yeah, it can be convicting because when you start looking at all humility, try it. If someone asks you a question or is doing something that seems prideful and you look at them and you say, wow, that seems prideful, what will their response be? I can tell you every time, every time it never changes. They're going to find something that they think you're prideful of. That's their response. Every time. Why? We like our pride. We like our pride. And if someone accuses you of being prideful, what's your response? Well, I'm not as prideful as you. Or you wouldn't have put it out there. Tell me I'm wrong. Somebody want to tell me I'm wrong? All right. You know, I remember when I used to hear messages that just just made me madder than old wet hen. Is old wet hen a matter than other things? I never understood that. But anyway, matter than old wet hen. You know what I learned from that? God's talking to me. When I hear something that makes me mad, it's probably because God needs me to be mad about it. This word that you see back in our text, all humility is the New American Standard Translation. The word all there is pasa, pasa. I like it. It's almost Hebrewic. Pasa. Okay. It literally means total. Okay. So if I read it, it would be total humility. Now think about that for a second. Total humility means nothing else. Okay. There is no exception to this. Total humility is not just a humility of lowliness, poor, pitiful me. But he uses the word pasa, meaning all. That means in everything. Now grab that, and it says in every relationship, 
every attitude always manifesting humility in all things. The word that we have there, humility, is actually a compound word. First word is tabanos, tabanos. Okay? And it means low. Okay? That's why in some of your translations it will be translated lowliness. Or it's tabanos. Okay? It's used as a metaphor for poor. For poor. In the language, it Kavanaugh was to view people as unimportant. Unimportant. The people are useless. Low priority. The Greeks, secular Greeks, use it to speak of being cowardly. Tabanos. Okay, the second part of the word is phoneto. Phoneto. It's a verb. Okay, and it means to judge. Okay, to judge as useless. To judge as unimportant. So you combine these things and you think of yourself as lowly or humble. You think of yourself as unimportant. You think of yourself as poor. Okay, now if I'm unimportant and I am poor, then I have a lot of room for pride, right? But then you take the word and put all in front of it. Okay, guess what you got? It doesn't matter what it is. I don't know more than you. I can't teach you. I have no ability over you. I have no authority over you. I can't show you anything. That's humility. Remember what Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are the poor in spirit. The beggar. The beggar. Why? And that word literally is the same one here. And it literally means the only existence I have is whatever crumbs fall off the table and hit me. That's it. I have nothing else. And everything you do, think of yourself as low, as unimportant, as poor. Gosh, sign me up for Christianity, eh? Paul wrote to the church in Rome and said, A man shouldn't think more highly of himself than he ought to think. That's lowly. Okay, now, how does that look in our society today? Ever thought about that? In all things, my actions and attitude, I am unimportant. I am low. This compound word, do you know what? I, I, I did some research on this. This compound net word never appears in secular or classic Greek. It's not in there. History says that this word was coined by the Christians. 
Why? Because the world doesn't have a concept of this. Wesley said this, and I quote, Neither the Romans or the Greeks had a word for humility. So think about it. They didn't have a word for it. That attitude was despised. Where I come from, they call that a put down. You are poor. You are ignoble. You are cowardly. You are unimportant. In that culture, and in our culture today, humility is despised. Humility is looked down on. Humility is mocked. It was used in the first century to speak of slaves and servants. That's what the Apostle Paul is telling you and me to walk worthy is. And yet to the king, we must be humble. You know, I think about the prosperity gospel. Health, wealth, and prosperity. You know, if you give this, then he'll give you a hundred times more, whatever that they do. What's it based on? Parading ourselves. Honoring ourselves. Listen, but I realized in years that in Christ... Humility is a beautiful virtue. In my study of this text, I realized that without humility, you can't walk worthy. Without total humility, you can't walk worthy. In the book of Psalms, Psalm 138, verse 6. For though the Lord is exalted, yet he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. How many times did I watch Christians think that they've arrived, that they have made the big time, that I have succeeded that I have done it. Look, we have accomplished. I remember a pastor one time telling me, praise God, that he allowed him to finance the church for 30 million more dollars. Jeez, how do you pull that off? Better yet, how do you sleep at night? Acts chapter 20, verse 19. We serve the Lord with all humility of mind. Did you understand what he just said there? Do you understand that his complete thinking processes are in his mind? And because their processes are in his mind, it is total what? Humility. Why is it we are so eager to open our mouths and say what? 
Because you've learned, I've been educated, I've studied, I've read, I know. No, man. I have an opportunity to share my testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ and what He's done in my soul. And I realize that God has given me a privilege and a privilege that very few people ever get. It's not because I'm smart. It's not because I'm educated. It's not, hey, I, I went and got Greek words off my computer. So it could be lying to me. And yet we all, I don't know. I'm going to close with a couple of things. We serve the Lord in humility. It begins in the humility of mind. That's where it has to start. Okay? How is this humility done? Okay? If I'm going to do this. Yes, I agree. We come out of chapter 3. That prayer at the end of chapter 3. That is it. Okay? But how does that act on me? Okay, now think about, remember what the prayer is. I'm going to be strengthened in the inner man by the Holy Spirit. Okay, Christ will be comfortable. I will know the love that surpasses knowledge. I will then experience the fullness of God. And I will do exceedingly abundantly beyond whatever I could think or imagine. Okay, got it? How do I do this? Three ways that it manifests. One. This one I believe is the most difficult. All right? Self-awareness. Self-awareness. It is a... uh, I guess I would call it a virtue by which a man becomes aware of his own unworthiness. It starts with really looking at yourself, honestly. See, we have no problem at looking at others. But I'm talking about looking at yourself. Each of you in this room has a conscience. Okay, and that conscience nobody knows about but you. But then you got saved. Now God knows about that conscience. And if you really want to look at humility, you have to start there. Because that's that part that your spouse don't know, your kids don't know, your co-workers don't know. They don't know that because I can just sit there and smile. I'm good. I'm good to go. So you start there what I call honestly looking at ourselves. It is that daily, open, honest confession of sin before God. Listen, Jeremiah tells me the heart is wicked and who can discern it? You know what that says? We deceive ourselves. (laughs) We got deception going on all around us, but then we got a slight order of self-serve. Listen, we can mask who we really are. 
What I mean is we can convince ourselves that uh, we are in a good place. I'm in a good place. I'm in a good place. Me and Jesus, we like this. We're hanging. We're hanging. I call it drowning in your own counsel. And you'll never be honest with yourself. First John chapter 1 verses 9 and 10. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we have made him a liar and the word is not in us. Please understand this text is written to believers. This is not written to lost people. It is written to believers who become complacent and think that they've arrived. Or, I'm not that bad. I remember how I used to be. Whoa! Whoa! Still a pig with lipstick. It's constantly confessing my sins. Constantly. Like Paul. Paul understood that I am a chief of all sinners. And yet, he said, I press to the mark. I strive to the mark. And yet he knew he was the chief of all sinners. Whenever you are tempted to be proud, remember who you are and that you have not arrived. Proper self-awareness. Now, I love you. But I don't know about you, but with me, that is a constant problem. For me. Because, see, it is easy for us in this day and age to compare ourselves to others. Because I know I can find someone worse all the time. And when I find someone worse than me, I can just kind of stand back and go, I'm not so bad. Because, see, as typical, if you look at our lives, we can always find someone on a lower standard. Must with deal with ourselves honestly. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. We've been warned. Verse 12, For we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. But when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. That's a really nice way of saying this stupid That's why I didn't write any of the Bible. <laughs> God says, no, you can't do that. That's a self-made standard. There ain't a person in this room that doesn't have one. It 
Humility is taking off them rose-colored glasses. The self-love of an unworthy sinner. Hmm. See, that's where it starts. True humility is that I am honest with myself. That, brothers and sisters, is part and step one of a worthy walk. When I can see my faults and not everybody else's. Now think about that for a second. Listen, I can tell you this right now. Anybody else's fault, regardless, I don't care what it is. The sin that they are in, there's one reason. Pride. So go tell them, well, if you would just cash in your pride, and you'll get the same response that I always get. Well, I'm not as proud as you. I remember when, see, there you go. So what are you really accomplishing? Confess my sins. Confess your sins. And you know what? Deal with them. He is faithful and just to forgive us and place righteousness on us. That's self-awareness. Okay. Second, Christ-awareness. Christ-awareness. Okay. Self-awareness. Okay. It's not my standard. If it's not my standard, then whose is it? That's Christ awareness. It's Christ's standard. Okay? When we compare ourselves with ourselves, we can be proud. Can't we? Man, I can remember when I got saved and where I'm at today. Yeah! That ain't the standard. Okay? If we compare ourselves five years ago, by golly, we're getting there. We're making progress. I feel all right. But if we compare ourselves with Jesus Christ, how does that work? Thought you would never ask. First John. Two six. The one who says he abides in him. Okay, the word abide means remains. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to what? Walk in a manner as he walked. Okay, that's the standard. I'm going to ask you. You ready? There's no second part to this question. Get ready, because this is the only time I'm ever going to ask a one question with no second part. In light of that text, I've overcome my humility. So I can announce right now, I now walk as Jesus walks. When you can say that, then you can be proud. See the standard? Now, if you say that right now, I'd have to say, does anybody really believe you? (laughs) But, uh, (laughs) do you see? If the word is in me, and I remain in him, then I walk as he walks. When you can be proud, when you can say, 
I walk as Jesus walks. See what happened to the standard? I mean, I can tell you that 35, 36 years ago, when I came to Jesus Christ, and then where I'm at right now, wow, man, I have made some serious progress. But I am not stupid enough to stand up and say, I walk as Christ walks. When we compare ourselves daily, moment by moment, to Christ... Listen, that is the most humiliating place you can be. But brothers and sisters, that is the most healthy place you can be. I would even encourage you to do it. You want a little exercise? I'll give you an exercise. You don't have to do it. I mean, it's jumping jacks or get your knee up. Oh, never mind. Take the Gospel of John. I know it's 20 some odd chapters. But you know what I learned from the Gospel of John years ago? The deity of Jesus Christ is exposed in every chapter. All the way through the book. Okay? If you were to go through the book, the Gospel of John... And look for the deity of Christ in every chapter. It's there, every chapter. And I mean, it, it's not hidden. You do that and you'll see who you really ain't. You got nothing on that book. You go look at the throne room of heaven like we did in Ezekiel 6. Okay? What do you have? All right. So first thing, self-awareness. Second thing, Christ awareness. Third thing should be very evident. God awareness. See, as we see Christ, our, uh, all right, I'm Christ aware. Okay. Now, as a pastor, you, you pay attention. Okay. Christ aware. I see Christ in his humanness. Okay. All right. When I say I see Christ in his humanness, I see the perfect man. Okay. He met everybody. He had time for everybody. He taught as no man taught. He, you know what? When you read Christ in the gospel, he gave all the right answers. Well, I've given some bonehead answers in my day. But Christ never did. It was always the perfect answer. He taught the perfect word at the perfect time. I'd give anything to just be able to teach at the perfect time. He had the perfect attitude. He had the perfect attitude in every situation. 
He knew how to help everyone in just the way everyone needed every time. Okay, that would be the perfect man. All right, that is the standard to just be aware of him. Now go beyond that. See his deity. Like I told you, the gospel of John. Then you see he's God. When you compare yourself to God, how do you stack up? Then you know who you are. When I am Christ aware and God aware, then I lay on top of that self aware. I got nothing. I ain't got any sweet tricks. I don't have no common sense. I don't have any of the right answers. I don't have any of the right timing. I don't have any of the right situations. Isaiah compared himself to God. Chapter 6. One day I saw God. My eyes have seen the king. What a humbling. What a humiliating perspective. I mean, John on the island of Patmos. (laughs) God bless him. He saw an angel. What was his response? Oh, gee whiz. (laughs) And the angel said, get up and do it. What? John the Baptist's dad saw <laughs> saw an angel. And what was his response? Who better kiss my butt goodbye? <laughs> you see what I'm trying to get at? And those are just angels. So what happens when you see God? My eyes have seen the king. When Paul saw Jesus on the road to Damascus, his conclusion was self-awareness. I am the chief of all sinners. Peter was confronted by the Lord. And he said, depart from me, O Lord. I am a sinful man. It's Christ awareness. When Isaiah saw God, woe is me, I am of unclean lips. Okay? That's self awareness, Christ awareness, and God awareness. You want more? I can give you more. I can give you a whole bunch more. When Matthew wrote his gospel, his first opening statements was I a what? Publican. You know what that is? I work for the IRS. I am employed of Rome, a Jew, taking Jewish money and giving it to a pagan government. That's how he started his. John wrote his gospel, and guess what? Never once does he mention his own name. Mark, most historians believe, was taught by Peter, and Peter 
taught him all the things. And when he speaks of Peter, he never mentions the two greatest things Peter ever did. One, this is the son of the Most High God. And I got out of the boat. But he does mention denying Christ and get behind me, Satan. Those are writers of the Gospels. Brothers and sisters, that's the humility. That's the heart of humility. And let me tell you, without humility in the word all, you can never walk worthy. You might do some really cool stuff, but you can't walk worthy. I know a lady, she's a teacher back east. When she was in high school, this was back a long time ago, when you used to do these big banners and you put them on the walls. I mean, they'd be like two miles long or whatever and had the artsy stuff on it. Good stuff. That's what she did. Okay, and she married a guy who was Defense Department. She loves the Bible. And she starts doing all of these charts. I think I've shown some of them to some of you. These massive charts. I, I remember she, I've got a chart of her doing the entire Bible on a chart. I just don't have anywhere to mount it. I don't. I'd have to start over in that corner and go all the way across. And I mean, it deals with everything. She's did. I got one from her that she does. That is the uh, all the prophets and how they interacted with all the kings of Israel. I've got a bunch of them that she did. This lady, she was talented in an artistic way, but her mind is, is, is so, um, I can't even describe it. It's, it's intricate. Precept Ministries was trying to hire her, okay, to, to do her lessons that she would put them out and, and all the rest of it. But her husband, because of his job, got moved around. She had to move around with him. And she said no. And then she thought she might. And God given her an affliction. that she had to start teaching from a swimming pool. Because there would be no weight on her lower back. And I don't know all. I don't know if they've ever figured it out. But she praises God. She says, he give me this talent. I knew I was becoming prideful about it, and he made me quit being. And, you know, I, <laughs> I, I just emailed, <laughs> emailed her and I says, keep up with them charts, man. Those are totally awesome. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's purely about me, and I can't do that. Okay? But you can either be humble or you can be made humble. But I do know this. You can never walk worthy unless it is done in all humility. I bring nothing. And nothing. I have been graced by a holy God to spend time reading his book 
And then he expanded me a little bit to let me meet some really cool people. But I'm nothing. I know I'm not. I pray for each of us. We will walk worthy of our calling in all humility. Let's pray. Father, let us be self-aware. Let us be honest with ourselves. Let us cut through our conscience that we sometimes can sear as a, as a branding iron. But Father, I, I pray that we'd be Christ-aware and you-aware. And that, Lord, that we'd be overwhelmed. Just the privilege of being called children of the Most High God. Uh, help us. These are strange times in your church and outside of your church. But Father, I pray that you will continue to grow us in the likeness of Jesus Christ. In the likeness of Jesus Christ. And Father, I beseech your throne on behalf of those who are here and those who are not here. We would walk worthy of our calling. What a high calling. What a lowly walk. To you, my King, Christ's name. Amen.